Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Dr. Mike Walden. And uh, Mike, before we go too much uh, further, I want to talk about books that you've written and uh, because you've written quite a number of books and they're all still available. They are. And so let's talk about all of them. What was your first book? Uh, First book was a book called uh, Economics and Consumer Decisions. It was a textbook. Uh, Probably a lot of our listeners wouldn't want to get that. Uh, I followed up with a book about economic issues. I think it was called uh, Economics, Rhetoric, and Reality. I had another textbook after that, but the more recent textbooks, more recent books, I should say, uh, have focused on North Carolina. I have two books I wrote, have written about the North Carolina economy, both uh, uh, kindly published by UNC Press. I did a, a three series of economic thrillers that I used and have used in my classes, uh, geared to teach economics in an entertaining way. Next year, I'm happy to announce, I think probably this is the first announcement on your program, I will publish, I think, my 12th book. It's called uh, Real Solutions, um, Common Sense Answers to Our Major Problems. And this looks at all the big problems that we all know, um, uh, education, both uh, K through 12 and higher education, cost of higher education, income inequality, health care, the environment, immigration, et cetera. I tackle all of those really hot button issues and provide my analysis and my attempt at how we might get through these. It, it'll be a big book. I think it's going to be about 520 pages, but that should be out next, or we're hoping by next yep. June. Uh, while we're talking about UNC Press, that's a real jewel for North Carolina because they publish a lot of books mm-hmm. that might not get published yes. otherwise. It is, uh, while it is, uh, I think, located in Chapel Hill, it is really a part of the, the overall university, not just the Chapel Hill campus. Uh, and uh, they they publish an awful lot of books, and so if someone really wants to find out more about yours, they can go online to that, or where else can they yeah. find that information? Well, uh, the the uh, online yeah. retailers, yeah. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all yeah. carry my books. Yes. So, uh, I guess if you just Google UNC Press, you'll get a list of the whole thing. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, uh, Don. They do publish books that you uh, wouldn't normally see, perhaps, from other publishers, but fantastic books, great writers. I, I've, my, my two experiences in working with UNC Press has been great. Their editors are great. Their production staff is great. So, I'm glad you're, you're highlighting them. They should be complimented. Mike, let's turn to another topic that's pretty much in the news and has been for some time, and that's the high cost of education Mm -hmm. and the huge amount of student loan debt. Of course, this is going to be a political football in the next election. Uh, uh, What do you see there? Is that changing? Somewhat. Well, I, th- I think uh, sometimes we hear the extreme stories of, of individuals who graduate and they have three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. Actually, these numbers just came out. Um, the average student who graduates has maybe $30,000 worth of debt. And if that's what it takes to get a four-year degree, that is well worth it because the average college graduate will more than make that up over their lifetime of work. Yeah, now, and that's the price of a car. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you can afford a car, you can afford That's right. The, the problem is uh, if you're a student and you, you go to college and you don't finish for a variety of reasons, you're just not focused, you, you do the fun things and don't do the hard work, and you take now, on – Now, tell me, no, there's <laughs> not any students that would do that, right? And you take on debt and you don't come away with a degree yeah. – then, th- then you're not going to get that bump in your yeah. salary likely, and you're still faced with that kind of debt. 
And then there are students who do finish, but it takes them a long time to figure out their major. And, and I understand, I changed majors yeah. twice, but I got done in four years undergraduate school. So I, my advice there would be uh, really think hard about what, what you want to do and, and, and what you're focused on is if you do change majors, uh, go to a summer school, uh, take extra courses, uh, don't spend as much time having fun so you get done in four years and don't raise that level of student debt. And of course, uh, the other big exception is graduate schools and graduate study because uh, masters and PhDs take a lot more time and usually are more expensive. They are, but oftentimes there, it was true in my case, and, and we, we have a lot of students obviously in our graduate program that that you can get assistance through being a teaching Teacher, assistant, yeah. a research assistant, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So my message there is if you get a, accepted to a graduate program, uh, go and talk to professors, go around and find out what the professors are doing, what their research is doing, make yourself known that, hey, I'm available to work work on your project and, and try to get at least a major part of your education paid for. And let's put in a plug for the whole university system because the cost of getting a, a uh, education from a uh, public university yes. in North Carolina, 16, 17 campuses, depending on how you count them, uh, is really low compared to most states. It is. when Now, the, these data may be a little out of date, but the last book I did on the North Carolina economy, I think I, and I have a chapter on education there, uh, indicated that we were the fifth lowest cost educational, higher educational system among all the states. UNC system. Fifth and another great jewel for North Carolina is the community college system. Oh, can't say enough about our community college system. Um, uh, that I think, and I think our community college system is going to be more prominent in coming decades as we go through what many think is going to be a big change in our workforce with technology coming in, doing things that people used to do. So what we're going to have are a number of people who are in mid-career who wake up one day and find they got to get a new kind of training. That's where our great community college system comes in. They've got their ear to the ground. They know what businesses want. They're constantly changing, adapting their programs. Yeah, it's we, we are very, very fortunate to have our community college system. And I think it's the case that there's a community college campus within 20 minutes, pretty much, of a, of a high percentage yeah, of, of I, households I, I in think the that's, state. Uh, yeah. I think that's what I've heard, and yeah. it's like 98% of the population mm -hmm. or something like maybe even 99%. Peter Hans yeah. is now the, yeah. the president of the system. We have great presidents, and um, uh, it's, it's, it's truly, I agree, a jewel of our, of our state. Well, another thing that bounces in and out of the news right now, I haven't heard too much about it, but that's the uh, long-range future of the Social Security system. Uh, as uh, more people age and draw Social Security out of the fund longer, I mean, you know, it's really easy because we've got computers. You can study and see when it's going to run out of money. And every once in a while, this bounces in the news, and then for some reason, there's some kind of little fix, and it bounces back out. Where yeah. do we stand on Social Security now and the, the, the uh, security of the security? Home, uh, well, we still security. have an issue. The, each year, there's a group called the Trustees of the Social Security System Issue Report, and I believe I'm right, and I may be off a year or so, but somewhere around 2035 is the latest estimate. Uh, we are going to start uh, paying out more from Social Security than is brought in by workers, so there's a problem there. And Social Security will not be able to meet its promises in terms of um, payments to people. So we do have a problem. We've been through this before, though. My thought is everyone knows this is an issue. 
but there's in politics this is no this is no knock at politics but in politics you usually don't take on difficult problems until you're up against them yes. at the wall yes and if it's not it's 20, called kick the can it's, if it's not <laughs> 2035 until we hit that that's still a long ways yeah. away yeah. and i think that's why we've not acted my prediction is long about 2030 2032 uh, it'll be it'll be eminent the problem. There'll be a new commission, just like the Greenspan Commission that met 30 years ago, solved some problems because we've been through this before. We'll have a new commission. They'll issue recommendations, and there'll be a fix. And some will say, "Well, what fix?" Well, their Congressional Budget Office has a report that issue that uh, lists about 40 different changes we could make in Social Security. Uh, to do this. I think uh, the, the two that I would probably look at is making some adjustments to the cost of living indicator that's used, and secondly, um, making some adjustments for higher income um, pensioners in terms of how much more Social Security they get as their income goes up, probably giving them a little less of a bump as their income goes up. Those are two fixes if we implemented right now would actually put us on a guide path of maybe uh, 40 years yep. of solvency in Social Security. So it's a, it's an issue, but it's an issue we can solve. The question is, when are we going to solve it? And, of course, the other big issue, I guess, is when you become eligible for Social Security because people, as we've talked about, are working longer and yes. and health uh, uh, their health is better. And uh, so yes. – uh, that that's another big change that could be. Yeah, and actually, the Greenspan, all everything we're operating now came after the Greenspan Commission in twenty uh, in nineteen eighty three, and they did a pretty good job of forecasting. What they missed was exactly what you said, Don. They did not. They they knew people were going to live longer. They didn't know that it was going to be this much yeah, longer. Yeah. And so it wasn't that we set up Social Security wrong. It's just that forecasting these things yeah. is difficult. So we've got that'll be a fix we'll have to make. Well, I think also not only just the uh, the death age projection, but also the uh, the activity level. I mean, people who are 65, 70 years oh, yeah. old are still extremely active, whereas maybe 30 years ago they were uh, really pulling out and, and, and really aging. Well, uh, I'll give them my age away here. In a little over a year, I'll be 70, and people have said, oh, Mike, don't worry about it. Se- uh, 70 is the new 50. Yeah. So well, I hope that's true. <laughs> well, I'm 55, and uh, why is everyone in the room laughing? Uh, but, but you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm older than you are by a long shot, and I, but I thoroughly enjoy working yeah. and don't want to quit. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think a lot of people are in that thing. A lot of people uh, also change careers yes. and uh, maybe slow down a bit or have a a little bit more flexibility, but for, by the same token, they're still active. And there are going to be more of us uh, in in um, in a couple decades. Almost one in in four people in our country will be over age sixty five, and that'll be almost double the percentage it is today. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna continue to roll on. Well, I, I've got a lot of friends that at one point in time were five years younger than I am, and now they're five years <laughs> older. I, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but uh, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, okay, here's one other question. We've got about a minute and a half in this segment. A lot of people are, are uh, apartments are growing everywhere. Uh, what happens when people in, you know, they've been in an apartment mm-hmm. for 10 or 12 years and they're now 35 years old and they want a yard? Yeah. Uh, are we going to have a surplus of apartments? I don't think in, and you see this, of course, in Raleigh. You can't, you can't yep. miss all the building going on in Raleigh. Same in Charlotte. I don't think in those two metro areas because we're getting a lot of continual flow of people in. Yep. But I have been talking. We've talked about this before. I've, I've, I've warned uh, when I speak to builders groups or real estate people. Yeah, you, they need to worry about this because I do think 
the the millennial generation, those between born between 1980 and 2000, they were the first generation who sort of said, "Well, we're not we're gonna we're not gonna buy a house immediately out of school. We're gonna rent, continue to rent." And a lot of people thought, "Well, this is this is a change. Yeah. The home ownership is going uh, single family home yeah. with a picket fence." Actually, what we're finding now is the millennials are doing exactly what you said. The older ones they're deciding, "No, I don't want that apartment now in a high rise. I want a single family home." So yeah, this is something I th- think those in real estate need to be aware of. Well, usually uh, realtor uh, developers usually wait just a tad too long before yes. they jump off the wagon. You never know where that turning point is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm. Uh, I think it is, uh, uh, as uh, Kenny Rogers' great song, you've got to know when to yes. hold them and when to fold them. <laughs> Our guest is Mike Walden, and we'll be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsbakers, and we'll do that right after this. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was .5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. That last apartment looked more like a tool shed. That's because it was a tool shed, dear. I thought I'd show you the less than desirable apartments first because your credit is less than acceptable. But no worries, plenty of apartments. Let's try this one. It's a broom closet. Don't be silly, dear. It was a broom closet. Now it's apartment 3AA. Potential landlords can and will check your credit before giving you a lease. Don't let your credit put you in a bad place. Go to controlyourcredit.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Treasury and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Mike Walden as our guest this week on Carolina Newsmakers, another really great program. And if you have joined us late, or if you want to hear a repeat of the entire broadcast, you can go online to carolinadeasemakers.com. Also a reminder that a number of our stations that carry this program across the state of North Carolina, and there's about 40 of them, uh, carry the 30-minute version, which means you miss two segments. Well, Jason Kong, our producer, segments those two segments, and if you would like to go online, you can hear those segments that you miss, again, by going to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com. Well, um, uh, and, and of course, if you've joined us late, uh, you've missed a great broadcast, so you need to go back and hear the first segments as well. Uh, interest rates. Uh, we did not talk about that earlier. We did talk a good bit about the, the, the likelihood of uh, a recession, and, and you may want to sort of remind us again what you said about that in, in a capsule form that uh, you think it's uh, at least a year and a half off or so. Very quickly, yeah, I think, and these are based on forecasts of, of group National Association of Business Economists, we're almost done with the year, but only 10% chance of recession this year. They say maybe a third next year and a third a chance in, in 2021. So still, if you if you take those verbatim, yeah. we're recession-free if you yeah. go with the, yeah. the opposite yeah. percent. 
Now, interest rates, uh, you know, there for a while, uh, the Fed yep. was raising the rate. Now they're lowering the rate. Uh, what do you forecast there? Well, uh, the Fed uh, lowered the rate, was it last week, by yep. another quarter percent. Jay Powell, the chair, said uh, we're going to evaluate the data and make any promises for, for uh, low rates. My forecast is if the economy stays at growing at 2%, if we get some trade deals, which I think will bump up growth at maybe 2.5%, then the Fed doesn't lower rates. If the data come in weak, if we get some weak employment numbers, if the uh, forecast for economic growth are, are lower than 2%, then I think we could see another cut. What the Fed is trying to do is extend this economic recovery. Now, they, 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 don't, they don't control everything, but they can, they can do what they can, and usually lower rates tend to boost economic growth. So I like what the Fed is doing. I, I think they made a mistake in December when they last raised the rate. They probably would like to have taken that back. And if you remember, there was a big sell-off in the stock market after that. But I think they are adjusting to what the economic numbers are telling us. I don't think any of this is pressure from, from the president and his folks. And, and incidentally, presidents always complain about the Federal Reserve. Um, it's not just the current president. So uh, I, I think I give high marks to the Fed. I mm -hmm. think they're pragmatic and trying to do what's best for the long-run situation in the economy. And of course, the other side of that is uh, if interest rates do go up, we're still talking about marginal increases. We're not talking about interest rates going or the Fed's rate going up to 5 yeah, or 6%. And, or and I tell like people who are now out there looking to buy a house, they're looking at 3 or 4% mortgages, and I say, boy, this is such a great situation because I remember when I was looking to buy my first house, Marini, in the late 70s, we're looking at 14 yes. to 17% mortgage rates. Yes. So it's good to be older and have yes. some, kind of a longer-run pers yeah. perspective because borrowing money now is very, very very cheap. Uh, and that uh, carries over to uh, uh, financing cars and mm -hmm. uh, credit card debt and everything right. is sort of uh, all tied to that. And so basically you're saying that uh, you see a very stable interest rate uh, situation for at least the next 12 months. Yeah, I think that would be a fair characterization, yes. Uh, any other legislation that uh, is uh, pending before or has been approved by the North Carolina House and Senate that's going to affect our economy? Well, of course, there have been some pay raises uh, granted. Uh, the, the General Assembly and the governor are still at odds over the budget, but the General Assembly has pushed some some separate bills to give certain segments pay raises. I think that's what most people are looking for. They may they may continue that. Um, I think they are looking to we, – we, we've come up with a big budget surplus this fiscal year, what, $900 million, and I guess there's a question about what do we do with that. Do we put that in the rainy day fund? There's been proposals to divvy it up and send it back to taxpayers. So that's probably one of the looming questions that we don't know will be resolved, whether we get a, a total budget package that because we have one house that needs to override yet, and I'm not taking sides in that. Uh, that's yet to be seen. Uh, but I think fiscally North Carolina state, the state of North Carolina fiscally is on a very, very good path. I really applaud them for thinking ahead with these rainy day funds. I think that's a big, big plus for our state. Well, you've preached that as long as I've known you, that North Carolina has that uh, uh, economy that uh, can go through recessions yes. with help from the state mm -hmm. government if mm -hmm. they have this rainy So many people think the rainy day fund is just for weather emergencies. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's for other kinds of changes in the economy as well. That's right. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say at the national level, the, the new – 
NAFTA, the USMCA, is still has to be approved by Congress. And there's a real question about with, with the other things that are going on yeah. in Congress, whether that will happen. And I think that will be a negative if that doesn't get approved. And I think if it does get approved, that will be a plus for North Carolina. I think it might help us grow our auto parts industry, and I think it will also help our farmers. And what's your forecast is whether it will be approved. Well, uh, that gets in the political realm, and I think before the latest uh, movements in the in the Congress regarding relations with the president happen, it was probably their thinking was yes, it'll get passed. Now I don't know. Okay, Mike, you're you're an educator, or is our education system looking ahead and and preparing uh, the students today for what might be in the future instead of what is on the immediate horizon? Are we are we teaching them to be flexible in the future? Because we don't know what jobs are going to be out there 10 years from now. That's true. And I think we try to do that. I mean, of course, one question is, do we know what's looming <laughs> well, on the future? Yeah. But, no, I, I think I think there's a recognition by educators as well as actually students. I've been impressed with students who know that we're in a, in a period of change, particularly due to technology. And the first career you have may not be the only career you, you have in your life that you may need to get further education down the road. So, yeah, I do think that that's – ingrained now in our educational system. Uh, the question is, to what degree can we predict where the jobs will be in 10, 15, or 20 years? We, we have some thoughts, but uh, I learned a long time that going out that far is very, very dicey in terms of trying to say this is exactly the way it's going to be. This is, I guess, is a political question, and you try to stay out of politics, but I'm just asking from an economic point of view. The proposals for eliminating debt, especially student debt, yeah. health debt, and free college tuition, can we do that, or is that just sort of a wonderful pipe dream? Well, my guess is that uh, we could not do that and would not do that at the level that some of those who are proposing those ideas say. And um, I, I have an issue with just writing off debt. Um, I think that actually uh, making some payments for your college education is, whether you have to do that out of pocket or borrow it, gives you some skin in the game. Yes. It probably motivates you to, to perhaps put your nose to the grindstone more. Never, I mean, students need to have fun, but they need to work also. So, yeah, I think a lot of those proposals are sort of uh, 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 outlandish and probably not practical, and there may be some reasons why you wouldn't even want to go there even if they were. Well, as you know, uh, politicians are always saying what they're going to do. But what people remember is it's the Congress that passes the laws. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, a president can't just arbitrarily eliminate uh, uh, student debt or something of this nature. So yeah. there is – uh, in our wonderful system, we do have checks and balances. Yeah, and again, in North Carolina, we've been—I think pretty, you mentioned—we talked about this early. We have been pretty good, especially in the last couple of years, about holding the lid on college costs, college tuition in particular. But we need to continue to, as, as someone involved in this, not as an administrator but as a participant, we need to watch that. And and again, technology may help us out in the future in terms of delivering college services and and, and costs. Uh, more efficiently. Our online course um, offerings have skyrocketed, for example, in my department in just the last few years. And so I think at the face of education and how education is delivered is going to dramatically change in the next several decades, and hopefully that will result in some more efficiencies and cost reductions. Mike, you've left me just enough time to thank you very much for a wonderful program. Thank and you. We look forward to having you back on. Dr. Mike Walden, uh, who is uh, our friend when it comes to the economy, is professor at uh, NC State University. program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. We look forward to 
being with you again next week. So the next week, same time and same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.